on our consideration, um, this is from Martin Luther King Jr. You would be surprised some of the things and the quotes that he made. And here's one of the ones that's really surprising. But it's true. Listen to what he says here. A nation, of civil, uh, a nation or civilization that continues to produce soft-minded men purchase its own spiritual death on the installment plan. Now, who would disagree with that? I mean, and isn't it true that that's where we are today? I mean, that's where we are today. Soft-minded. <laughs> it's, it's kind of... It was the term that he chose for a reason. And I think that's where we are at. And I think it's been honestly by design that you have a lot of men who have just checked out from being men. Amen. They have checked out from being men. And it's the, one of the greatest tragedies of our time. Excuse me? Sponges that give up, give up everything they have with a little bit of pressure. Absolutely. I like that definition. And so, I mean, and you have it today. And, uh, and I think that that's contributed to, contributed to a lot of the confusion you see today. Imagine and, if you're still around, what you would... Yeah, it's, it's just, we, we're in an interesting time. And uh, a lot of that comes from, um, I think, the spiritual direction of, um, of the uh, family. I, I know that my mother and father, they just, again, I t- tell you, there were 16 kids in our family. They did not focus on us getting an education. Though nine of the people in our family have degrees, two brothers that have doctorate degrees. You know what they focused on? Your relationship with the Lord. That's what they emphasize over and over and over and over again. And they weren't talking about all of this world system stuff. It was your relationship with the Lord was what they emphasized. So much so, I got sick of it. <laughs> okay. But do you know that was the right thing? Because it's only what you do for Christ that's going to last. All the other stuff, don't, it doesn't matter. And when the pressure comes to bear, you have to understand what is true, what is real. And the world system is perpetuating a lot of things today that is not true. It's not true. And people are putting their faith in it. It's not true. And that makes a huge difference when you understand it. That brings us to our 31st message on love. And so we wanted to talk today about the mechanics of love. And so one of the things in talking about um, intellectual ascent, and I think that this is what was happening at Ephesus you know, you can actually know a lot of information and not use it. Uh, knowledge can puff up. It can puff up. And you can intellectually uh, attain to a, thing, uh, a situation where you say, I understand what these things are, but you never lived them. Right? So it doesn't matter how much we know. It's how, whether or not we live it. Whether we live it. And so, you know, you, you can, it's a funny thing about knowledge. Because information, you can take in information. And the, one of the things that strikes you is that you can also then start comparing yourself with people who don't have the information that you have, you see. And then you're comparing yourself with other people and you're saying, oh, look, I'm better than those people. Well, 
maybe their standard is really low. So it's not really a comparison. Uh, but you, you, you have to be able to, at some point, put what you know into practice. And that's the thing that really matters. And so um, I was looking at a magazine and uh, exploring your mind. And it, it was warning uh, people of the perils of false love, right? And so you have people who have all this information about what love is and the fact that they don't know how to actually love. Uh, and this is even just from a world system point of view, right? And they were warning people about that. And so here's a quote that they, that they said from that magazine. There are many things that look like love, but are anything but. They are usually friendships that get very close and often last a long time. But in, uh, deep down, there is no real affection. Just limitations and problems that keeps the relationship going. Sadly, false love is all too common in today's world. And you can see that in the church. You can see that in the church. And so I can know intuitively what love is and not actually use it. How many times, and I, 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 as I go down the line here, I'm becoming very careful about just telling someone, I love you. I really would rather show it. That really matters more than anything else, right? I mean, you can see in a lot of situations, in a lot of churches, that, those fra- that phrase is mouth a lot. Love you, brother. Love you, sister. And another thing I've become really leery of, of doing is when you say, I'm going to pray for you, brother. Right? And then you see that person again, and you say, oops, forgot. <laughs> or, you know, you see somebody in need, and you say, praying for you. I mean, that kind of becomes a catch-all. But when you see what John is talking to the believers at Ephesus, he's trying to move them away from just a, 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 an intellectual assent to what love is. And to move them into a practicality of what love is, you see. And you see it really in this third chapter. He really emphasizes a lot in this third chapter. And he gives some illustrations. He starts off, if you notice in First John chapter 3, he starts off and he gives a contrast. In verse 11, for this is the message you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Now, and we've covered this, he uses the negative example. Don't, this is not what love is. Don't be like this. Not as Cain, who was out from the wicked one, and he slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil, and his brothers were righteous. Then he gives a positive view of love in verse 16. Hereby hereby perceive we the love from God. Because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Uh, Really, that ought is we are under a moral obligation to lay down our lives for the brethren. Now, it's important here to note who the brethren are. And we've shown you that these are talking about other believers. If you use this kind of love for the unsafe man... Uh, you're going to get yourself in a lot of trouble. You're going to get yourself in a lot of trouble. 
And so he says, uh, verse 17, but whosoever has this world's goods and sees his brother have need and shuts up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? So I'm sure, I don't know for sure at Ephesus, but I'm sure they were going around at one point saying, love you, brother. Love you. So easy to say, isn't it? Different to actually do it. You know why? It's going to require you and I to be spirit-filled. And that's going to require us overcoming our sin nature, which is going to take it out of the realm of me thinking about me. And, and so he gives that illustration, and then he goes down into verse 18, and he says this, My little children... Let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are out from the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. And so we'll look at this. What is genuine love and the mechanics of it? Is it just saying, I love you? Or is it actually doing it which one is important and we'll see that Father we're grateful for the opportunity of being able to look at these things and grateful as believers that we have the potential to be able to actually live out this kind of love and to be able to exercise it toward the the saints as was the commandment of your son that we love one another as he has loved us and we're thankful Father that through this potential this love can actually uh, hold the body together. It's like glue that glues the body of Christ together. And we're thankful that there's many opportunities to be able to use it as the believer is, um, is able to be spiritual and have the perception of when and how to be able to use it. And we're thankful for that. In your son's name we pray. Amen. And so uh, the Apostle John is imploring the saints at Ephesus to join him. He actually uses a term here where he appeals to the believers to ignore these false teachers that were Gnostics in the church of Ephesus. And they were teaching a different kind of doctrine. There was a lot of things that they were teaching that was false. And so John uses it uh, in verse 18. He says, you see that phrase in verse 18 of 1 John chapter 3? He starts and he says, let us. Let us. Now that term is actually, it's the word agape. And it, it is what is called a, um, a kind of a horatory subjunctive. And there's the potentiality that you can do it. But he's not saying that you are. And so what he's saying is, say, hey, come and join me. Let's go. Hey, let's do it this way. Join me in doing this this way. And so he's showing them what true love is. Now remember the backdrop of this. John always talks about himself in his epistles, in the gospel of John, as the the disciple whom Jesus loved. John talks about love more than any other writer in the New Testament. Any other writer in the New Testament, he talks about it. And so this word for agape here is used several times in in his epistle, and it implores the Ephesians to join him, 
to participate in this positive expression of love. Now you see it again in, in the fourth chapter. And notice um, in 1 John 4, um, and notice in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another. Now, before beloved is one's having been loved by God. So God has shown his love toward the saints, and everyone who's a believer has the capacity and the ability to love other saints. Let us love one another. Now, notice why he's going to tell you why he says this. For love is from God, is of God. That word of God is out from God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. So here's one of the ways that you can tell who is a true believer. That they have the ability to love. And interesting that he says this. Everyone that loveth is born or have been begotten from God. Now think about this. If everyone that loves has been begotten from God, what does that say? That those who are not begotten do not have the potential for this kind of love. Remember we talked about it before. So you have agape love, you have phileo, fondness, you have storge love, you have eros. Only the believer can participate in agape love. Only true believers. The unsaved man, most of what they're involved in is phileo, a fondness. Or they're involved in uh, storge. You know what storge is? You have a natural love or affection for your family members. Or eros, which is you know, what most of your TV love is. And all the, oh, I love you. I'll never leave you until I do. <laughs> right? And that's what, most, that's what most of your love is today in the world. It's just erotic love. And it's based upon emotion. And this love is just totally different, though. So this love is out from God. And notice what he says. And everyone, uh, in verse 8, he that, uh, um, everyone that loves, or really you could say everyone, it's the specific one that is loving. Now, here's where language makes a big difference. Because he's, he doesn't make it a broad thing. He's talking about the specific individual that actually is participating in love. It shows that he has been born out from God. And I don't care how much an unsaved person tries to duplicate this, they can't. And we can't do it either unless we are filled by the Holy Spirit. And so, they're born out from God, and notice, and and he that loves, uh, notice he says in verse 8, and he that loveth not, knoweth not God. Now think about this. The one not expressing agape love at some point in time, you know what it proves? You're not a child of God. That's what it proves. Now, if the unsaved people could love, then why would he say this? The fact that you can show agape love 
shows that you've been regenerated and that you're out from God. And this is a unique kind of love that only a believer who's been regenerated can actually express. The unsafe man can't do it. They don't know how to do it. And this is why I, I've talked, we do a lot of premarital counseling. I talk to a lot of people, and when I see it, a person trying to get married to an unsafe person, I said, I'm out. Never will marry an unsafe person and a believer together. Ever. I don't care how mad you get at me. It's not going to ever happen. Because you got two people who are in two different categories, and the believer or the unsafe person has no capacity to be able to love that believer like they, a believer can. They don't have the capacity to do it. And we've, told, we've been told, Second Corinthians, don't do it. Don't be yoked together with an unbeliever. And so that's a problem. And so he talks about this love, and so he, he goes on, notice back in, in verse 18, he uses his agape love against the negative expression of love, and so notice he said uh, in 3.18, my little children. He, John uses this expression a lot. And it's the word techna. And it looks at the fact that you've been born into the family of God. You, when you believe the facts of the gospel, Christ died on the cross for our sins and he was buried and was raised, raised from the dead. You were moved out of one family. In Adam's family, do you know every single person born into this world is born into the family of Adam? Now, this is hard for some people to take. I said this once in a Sunday school class, and a guy got up and left out. He got upset with me. He just could not believe that every single person born into this world is born into Adam's family. Well, when you believe the facts of the gospel, God moved you from that into a new position in his son in, uh, in Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul can say of any man be in Christ. He's a new creation. Old things have passed away and behold, all things have become new. And so John talks to them about this is looking at the fact of the being in the family, the entry into the family that you are born once. My little children, let us not love with word are in tongue. So this let us not. Uh, he's given a negative expression here. He's talking about this negative expression. This let us again. I would really translate it this way. Let us be loving. And it's used that way several times in the New Testament. Let us be loving. And then you put this negative expression with it or this negative particle with it. Let us be not loving. So he's telling you, don't, don't love this way. And what is he going to emphasize? It's so easy to love in the wrong way. And so this word for not, it's actually a negative, and, um, and it, it's a, it prohibits or forbids something. Or you could say, don't love and don't be loving in this way. Well, in what way is he talking about? Well, we have all of these, these different things that are said, and I would assume that in, in Ephesus, some of the things, same things that were happening in this church were people, they just want to talk about love. And the whole idea of doing love is totally different. I keep telling you, 
um, that that Christian life class is the is the best class that I had in seminary. I'm going to say it again, and I'm going to give you another illustration as to why. It was when we had that class, me and Joyce. Before we had that class, our marriage was, you know, we were like tumbling. It was like the WWF wrestling. <laughs> you know, we were you know topsy turvy. You know, back and forth at each other. But you know. Learning the Christian life class helped to teach us what love really is. And for the first time, being able to really express what true love is in real time. And, and what is love? Well, we, we've talked about it before, but love, if you just were to give it a word or, or a term, self-sacrificing. You're going to sacrifice on, for the benefit of the other person that you're loving. And it's not about you. You're going to lay down what's important to you to give this person what they need. And what happens in marriages is that you have two people who are trying to get what they want. Right? And that's why they come up with the term marriage is 50-50 hogwash. No such thing as marriage is 50-50. That's not true. Do you realize that's not true? Marriage is 100% zero. I'm going to love this person regardless of what they do. That's what true love is, right? Isn't that what happened with the Lord? Did you do something? Did you do something to earn his love? Absolutely not. And neither should that other person. And I look, I'm, I tell people, you, know, you have a lot of situations. Where we've seen a lot in marriage counseling, premarital counseling. And what I've observed over the course of many years is that you see people who want to marry someone, and they've got their ideal of what they they want this person to be, right? And they bring that to the table, and they they see all of the things happening with this person, and the fact that this person has all of these warts. And I've almost said, and I've come to the conclusion, I don't think it's really that much of a joke. There are some people who will get married to the person. Once they send the invitations out, they could find out that that person is an axe murderer. This wedding's going down. (laughs) Because they think they can change him. And most of what happens in your marriages is people trying to change other people. They don't accept the person as they are. They're trying to change them. True love, what does it do? It gives the person what they need. It's not about what I'm trying to get out of it. I'm giving you what you need. And that's really hard. And so what ends up happening for love, you say, love you. Wish I wasn't with you. (laughs) Wish I wasn't around you. Because you can say those words, they don't really mean anything. They don't really mean anything when there's the activity that is not supported by activity. And so notice John is, is urging, and notice he does a couple of things. If you look back in the seventh verse, he k- keeps talking to the um, believers here 
about the one who doeth things. Um, uh, notice in verse 7, My little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous. It's not just saying, Oh, I've got a knowledge of how to act right. At some point, the believer, as you allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life, will produce it. And notice if you see it again, go back into the 17th chapter of the second verse. He keeps emphasizing doing. Doing. Notice in verse 17 of 1 John chapter 2. And the world passes away, and the lust thereof, but the one or he that doeth the will of God. Abides into uh, abides forever. Really fills at ease into the age is how you could translate that. And so he's putting the emphasis on doing. So now, what is he urging these believers? He's urging them to abandon a superficial view or expression of love. Abandon a superficial expression of love. Now, I know nobody here has ever done this, but I'm going to tell you, there's people, and I'm sure you've seen people like this. You've never done it. And they tell people, love you, love you. They just use that word over and over and over again, right? And, you know, then you see, after the fact, what they say about the person, you know, or whatever. But you have these expressions that people use on the outside that has no substance to it in many instances whatsoever. And so he's, he goes on back in first, uh, verse 18 of chapter 3 of First John, he says... My little children, let us not love, notice, and he's going to give two things, in word, neither in tongue. Now this word for word here, it's, um, it's um, actually, it, he uses this in, and I would translate that in, it's, it's more of an instrumental, by means of a word. So this is how you're loving. It's by means of a word. And this word for word is actually, it's used, uh, it's the word uh, logos. And it's used of a discourse or um, it's used in scripture several times of, uh, uh, to talk. Let me show you a couple of examples. Look back in Matthew, the 22nd chapter in verse 15. It's used of those trying to catch the Lord in his words. Matthew chapter 22, verse 15. And so the Lord is um, talking to the Jews here in, in uh, verse 22, and he's telling them uh, what's going to happen here. It, uh, he gives the, the uh, parable of the wedding feast. Uh, and then he coming off of that, he says in verse 14, For many are called, but few are chosen. Then went the Pharisees and took counsel how they might entangle him in his talk. Or the word talk there, if you have an interlinear, you can see that it's actually the word logos. Or not entangle him in his talk, but uh, entangle him um, by means of, uh, of, uh, of a word. And so they tried to trip him up in what he was saying. Notice you see it again in Acts um, chapter th- uh, 14 and verse 3. And it's use of a discourse. 
And everything that you see with this, used for word, it's 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 verbalization. You're 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 giving a discourse about something. It's different from just looking at, listening to the words that are coming out of your mouth. There's a different word that is used from that. I think the focus here is upon the fact that you're talking about it. You're giving a discourse of some sort. You're saying something about it. And that's the thing that he's trying to get at. And so notice in uh, Acts 14 and verse 3, uh, it's used of um, um, uh, in Acts 14 and verse 3, it's, uh, we'll start with verse 1. And it came to pass in Iconium that they went both together in the synagogue of the Jews and, and uh, so spake that a great multitude, both of the Jews and also of the Greeks, believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and made their minds evil affected against the brethren. Long time, therefore, they abode speaking boldly in the Lord and gave testimony unto the word of his grace. And so notice this uh, word. It's the same word that's used over there in the 18th verse of the third chapter of John. And so here it's a discourse. So what were they doing? They were teaching about grace. So there was a discourse in what they were saying. So let's think of this in light of what he's saying over in 1 John 3. Sometimes, and in this context, the way he's talking about it, it's more than just saying, I love you. It's just talking about it. There's a discourse that you can give in which you're trying to tell somebody how you love them. Right? Now, I know, again, it's just hard for you guys to put together because you don't do this. But other people do. Right? And so you try to explain in so many different ways to show how you love someone or how you have loved them. And he says, let us not love in word. And then he goes on to take that a little step further. Neither, the word neither here, it's, uh, I would translate it this way. Also, don't do it this way, or in addition to, are an additional prohibition restricting a certain behavior. Don't do it in word, and don't do it this way either. Well, what other way is he talking about? Neither in tongue. Now notice this word for tongue is actually an interesting word, and it's used uh, throughout the course of scripture uh, of a language, of a language. And so um, it's really interesting how some people have uh, use this. It, it's the word glossa in the New Testament, and it's used for language, also used for the instrument of forming words. Uh, it's used of different kind of languages. Uh, when you look over in Acts, the second chapter, as an example, uh, you can see when they started speaking in a different kinds of tongues. I want you to know when they were speaking in different kinds of tongues during this time, they weren't just sitting up um, speaking utter gibberish. Um, they were talking in a different language. And so notice in verse uh, 2 of chapter 2 of Acts. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as fire, and it set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues, or really, it's different kinds of tongues. Now, um, they weren't, well, we'll see, you'll see it as we get down here. As the Spirit gave them utterance. 
And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. And now when this was Noah's abroad, uh, the multitude came together and were confounded because every man heard them speak in their own language. You see that? The tongues is related to language. And so notice, and they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, not all of these are not all of these which speak Galilean. How hear we every man in our own tongue, wherein we were born? Language. Language. This is not some utter babbling. And, and you know, we've been in churches um, back when me and Joyce first got back on track. We were in this uh, church and they were into the tongues movement. And uh, they were trying to teach how to speak in tongues. And it was just, it was was comedy, really. And sad in in a lot of ways because they don't understand this, that this is talking about a different language. The miracle was that as you look at all of these people from these different places, notice Elamites, uh, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and dwellers in Macedonia and Judah and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia and Phygeria and Pamphylia in Egypt and in the parts of Libya about Cyrene and strangers of Rome and Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak our tongues, the wonderful works of God. See? The Jews, after they had come out of captivity, they had been scattered into a lot of different countries. They were speaking in different languages. The miracle was that they could hear them in their own language. It would be like me speaking Japanese and I never learned it. That was the miracle. And so this idea for tongue is actually has this word for language. Um, Um, a language, and it's also used of a literal tongue in scripture. Notice it's used when when it has an article with it, it's talking about this little instrument in our mouths. Do you realize this little instrument has caused a lot of deaths, caused people to be beaten, it's caused a lot of problems and divisions, and notice James talks about it in James chapter 3 and verse 5 through 6. And so it talks about this this tongue and the danger that it can stir up. It's just an amazing thing that this little bitty instrument right here has caused so many problems with people. Just one little instrument. And James talks about it in James chapter 3 and verse 5. Even so, the tongue is a little member, and it boasted great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it, it defiles the whole body. And it sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beast, and of birds, and of serpents, and of things in the sea is tamed, and has been tamed by mankind, but the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Therewith we bless, uh, uh, bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceeds blessings and cursings. 
my brethren, these things ought not to be. And he talks about the tongue. And so here, I think, here's, this is used with an articular use here, and I think that this is what he's talking about. Now notice, I give you two definitions here of of this word for tongue and how it's used. Uh, Barnes notes on the whole Bible, he he, uh, defines this for tongues as being by mere profession, by merely saying that we love each other. It's using the tongue to just say, I love you. Well, John is trying to say, no. Not that that's not important. It's okay to say to someone, I love you, when the substance is there. And so notice, and uh, Adam Clark gives this definition, he says, of a charitable and humane disposition and resting there by indeed, by humane, merciful acts. And so this, using this tongue in a right way, or, or not using this tongue as a means for showing um, agape love is actually what is um, happening there. And so he says, let us not love in word, nor by use of the tongue. And now he's going to tell you how to love in First John 3, verse 18. And he goes on to say, but indeed, and in truth. Now, this word for deed, uh, he uses again that in preposition, and the uh, deed here is ergo by activity. By, act, by activity. Really, <clears throat> if I never told you that I loved you, you should really be able to see it. It should be seen out in my activity toward you as another believer. Now, there's nothing wrong with saying, I love you. But really, do I have to say it? You really can see whether I love you or not by what I do. And so notice this word for deed is the word ergo and it's an activity that is carried out. It's an activity. It's not talk. It's something you do. You do it. And so notice you see this uh, as an example in uh, um, in Colossians 3.17. Let's look at that one. Colossians 3.17, this word that is used here for deed um, is used in Colossians 3.17. And, and every time you see it, it's not talking about something that is verbalized. It's something that is actually done, something that is carried out. And so notice in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 17. And so um, Paul writes to the Colossian believers in verse 16. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever you do in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, and uh, I was translated, even the Father by him. And so whatever you do in word or deed, something that you are actually doing, it's not talk. You know what the difference is? You have a lot of people who can talk. What was that? Uh, I think it was Benjamin Franklin that said, any man can talk, and most fools do. <laughs> you, you, anybody can talk. And that's what you see happen. So I could tell you I love you until the cows come home. But what am I doing? 
Look past what I say. Look at what I am actually doing. That tells you a lot, right? And so he says, don't just love in word or in a tongue, but in deed. In the things and the activity that is carried out, what I am actually doing in activity is what matters. You see. Remember what we learned about love? How was that manifested in activity? Love is kind. There's a graciousness to love. Love does not keep records of wrongs. Right? How many times do we just, okay, boy, they did that four or five times, one more time, just one more time, and I'm done. Right? And you can, have all, you can see all of these things in which there is not the activity of love. Love is long-suffering. There's a long holding out of the mind with people who are trying and difficult. And, you know, this could come down to it with, uh, in a marriage situation for sure. Right? A long holding out of the mind. We were talking about Wednesday wrath and how wrath, the wrath of God does not uh, change men. Did you realize that? That that's not what saves people? Do you know what it says over in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, that it is the kindness of God that leads men to a change of mind? Isn't that what it says over in James? That it is the righteousness, it's the, the wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. The wrath of men do not work the, does not work the righteousness of God. Kindness, long-suffering, long-holding out of the mind. Those are activities that as you see them, you could be able to see, yeah, yeah, that person loves me. I'm not getting what I deserve. Those are easy to see. But I could easily just spout some words off. What does that matter? Anybody can talk. Anybody can say words. It's the activity. And I don't have to tell you. It's like Dr. Schaefer used to say, and it's just, I used to always think it was funny. If you have to say that you're doing it, you're probably not. If I have to tell Joyce, okay, Joyce, now I am loving you now. That's awkward, isn't it? <laughs> Certainly not romantic. <laughs> if I have to say that I'm doing it, I'm probably not doing it. It's just the day-to-day doing it, living it. Not as I try to do it on my own strength, because I can't, as you know, we've talked about the fact that agape love is a fruit of the Spirit. Galatians uh, chapter 5. And that is produced by the Holy Spirit in my life. And, the, and as I am spiritual, I have the opportunity to use it with other believers. And it's manifested. I don't have to say a word. And so he says, not in, 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 in uh, tongue. Uh, in, uh, he says, going back to First John chapter 3, he says, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. That word truth is actually the word aletheia, 
Um, and so that's an interesting word because, now I give it this definition, according to what is accurate, that which is authentic, which is genuine. And I think that when it's real love, it will be genuine. You know, sometimes you can love people um, in a way that's fake love that's not real. It's not authentic. You do things to get brownie points with people. It's not what you really are or what you would really want or what they really need. Now, I don't think this falls into this category, but I think it would be a good illustration. One uh, Valentine's Day, I thought I, I was working and I saw these big cards. <laughs> these big Valentine's Day cards. It was just huge, right? And I said, well, my, my wife would really love that. <laughs> I got that Valentine's Day and took it home to her and she... <laughs> it was totally not what she wanted. It was totally not what she wanted. Well, you just start thinking the bigger the better, right? <laughs> I don't want to get a little card and express my love. I want to get a big card to show her. And she was like, yikes. <laughs> you know, you could do that. That you're not doing what's in the best interest of the person and what they need. Many times we can direct agape love and we're doing it from what we think the person needs and not what really they need. According to what's true. See that word for true? It's used several times. I just want you to see in Second Peter 1.12 one of the places where you see it. That which is authentic, which is genuine, real. Uh, and so notice in Second Peter 1.12. And so Peter talks about these believers that were stabilized because of the truth that they were holding to. And so he says, wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them and be established in this present truth. In other words, they were able to see something that was authentic. They were holding to it. They didn't leave it. Peter put them in remembrance of it. Something that is authentic, that is accurate, it is real. How much of love among unsaved people is fake? Look at the relationships. Most of them are so superficial. They don't last long. A lot of marriages, I'm struck by the pomp and circumstances of the unsaved weddings. A lot of the Hollywood people put a lot of money into weddings. Uh, I think it was uh, uh, the Kardashian girl had this big fancy wedding. I mean, just all kinds of money. Whoop, the marriage didn't last long at all. Even among believers, how much of love is authentic and genuine, real?
it's reflecting who you really are and that you're giving the person what they really need. Not what I want, not what I think they should have, but what they need. And so John tells the believers, that's not love in word or in a tongue, but in activity and according to what is real, what's authentic. So when we are loving each other as believers, there is a potential that we can, what do they say in the world? Keep it real. Do you know that a lot of believers don't? And it's because they're trying to contrive a love that is not real. And it's not coming by the Holy Spirit. They're making it up. And John really exhorts the saints here that you love in a real manner among each other. And what happens as a result of that? The saints are built up. We need to know among each other that we're genuine. That there's no fakery here. You go out into the world, what do you see? Fakeness everywhere you turn. I would hope that among the saints that we have a love that is absolutely real because it's coming from the right source. And that makes a huge difference. Father, we're grateful for the opportunity of being able to um, look at these words from the epistle of uh, John. <clears throat> Thankful to the saints that we have the opportunity to be able to love in the right manner. And we're thankful that this love can be genu- is a genuine kind of love. That when we're spiritual, that it's a love that is able to look past what I want and to look for what the, the person being loved needs and to attend to their needs and to give them what they need, even at my own sacrifice. And we're thankful that that can only be produced by the Holy Spirit as he is able to produce that fruit in my life and to fill up what's lacking in it in my life and to give me the things that I need to be able to love in the, in the right manner. And we're so thankful for that potential. In your son's name we pray. Amen.